Let's say you have a brand new country. You want to take it out for a spin and make some new laws. What's the first thing you're going to do? Maybe ratify a treaty, perhaps something about the economy. Well, if you were the United States back in 1789, you didn't do anything nearly that exciting. Learn more about the very first law in the United States on this episode of Everything Everywhere Daily. This episode is sponsored by ButcherBox. Summer is right around the corner, and that means cookouts. No matter what your preferred food is for a cookout or a barbecue, ButcherBox can help you make it the best. If you want to serve up some hamburgers, ButcherBox has grass-fed ground beef to make the perfect smash burger. Want to cook up some steaks? Well, ButcherBox has that too, with some of the best cuts of steak, such as New York Strip, ribeye, and filet mignon. Do you like grilled chicken? Well, ButcherBox has some of the best pasture-raised chicken that you will find anywhere. And if you really want to wow people at your next cookout, you can try grilling some of their wild-caught salmon on a cedar plank. Sign up at ButcherBox.com daily and get a special deal. ButcherBox is offering my listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com daily and use code daily to choose your free-for-a-year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is sponsored by Audible.com. My audiobook recommendation today is The First Congress, How James Madison, George Washington, and a Group of Extraordinary Men Invented the Government, by Fergus M. Bordwich. The First Congress was the most important in U.S. history because it established how our government would actually function. Had it failed, as many at the time feared it would, it's possible that the United States as we know it today would not exist. During two years of often fierce political struggle, They passed the first ten amendments to the Constitution, they resolved bitter regional rivalries to choose the site of the new national capital, and they set in place a procedure for admitting new states to the Union. You can claim your one-month trial to Audible and your two free audiobooks by going to audibletrial.com slash everything everywhere, or by clicking on the link in the show notes. If you've ever started a business, there was probably a stage you went through early on where you got letterhead, business cards, and maybe some office supplies. None of that really has anything to do with what your business actually does, but it's all part of the infrastructure of doing business. It's overhead, but it's a necessary overhead. When the first Congress convened on April 1st, 1789, they had a whole bunch of housekeeping that they had to take care of. They had never met before. As institutions, they had no rules or traditions. They had to elect leaders like a Speaker of the House. They had to figure out how they should address themselves. So if you're thinking that the first order of business of the very first Congress was tackling some important issues facing the new country, you'd be wrong. The first issue for Congress was just being Congress. When the House of Representatives finally had a quorum on April 1st, 1789, they met at the Federal Hall in New York City, which was the first capital of the United States. You can visit Federal Hall today, which is right on Wall Street, just a few hundred feet away from the New York Stock Exchange. 
On April 6th, the Senate had their quorum and met in the same building. One of the Senate's first orders of business was counting the Electoral College votes for president, which they did on day one. This was a constitutional requirement that was necessary to get the executive branch up and running. On April 21st, John Adams was sworn in as vice president, and on April 30th, George Washington was sworn in as president. Compared to today, the first Congress was really simple. There were no political parties. They would come soon enough, but with the first Congress, everyone was still figuring out what was what, and there weren't yet issues to coalesce around. However, of the 65 members in the House, 37 would probably be considered Federalists and supporters of Washington, and 28 would be considered Anti-Federalists in the opposition. There wasn't much in the way of committees at this point either. The Senate, which had only 26 members, didn't have any committees. Everything was debated by the entire body. In the House, they had only three standing committees, elections, rules, and ways and means. They also hired employees to help run each body. On April 7th, the day after the Senate met for the first time and read the Electoral College results, they hired a doorkeeper whose job was to keep people out while the Senate was engaged in private deliberations. They hired James Mathers, who held the post until his death in 1811. The next day, April 8th, they hired Samuel Otis as the first secretary of the Senate, a position which he held until 1814. The House likewise hired a clerk, a sergeant-at-arms, and a doorkeeper. The Senate and the House also created a set of working rules for how they would work together to get legislation passed. Almost everything which was done in the first month of Congress was mostly passing resolutions which only affected Congress itself. These weren't actual laws that had to be passed by both houses and signed by the president. They were just internal housekeeping measures. John Adams was obsessed with how the president should be addressed. He headed a committee which considered Your Highness, Your Electoral Highness, and even Your Majesty. Thomas Jefferson called the idea of addressing the president as Your Majesty as, quote, the most superlatively ridiculous thing I have ever heard of, unquote, and Benjamin Franklin said it was absolutely mad. Washington eventually stepped in and said, just call me Mr. President, and that's what we've done ever since. As all of these things were going on, a committee of the House of Representatives was working on language for a bill on the oath that members of Congress would take. On April 25th, they brought the bill to the whole body, which approved it on the 27th. The bill then went to the Senate, who expanded it to require all government officials at the state and federal level to also take the same oath. When sent back to the House, they had no objections to the Senate changes, so it was passed and sent to the President for his signature. On June 1st, 1789, George Washington affixed his signature, and America had its first official law, an act to regulate the time and manner of administering certain oaths. Here is the actual text of America's first law. Quote, Section 1. Be it enacted by the Senate and House of Representatives of the United States in Congress assembled, that the oath or affirmation required by the sixth article of the Constitution of the United States shall be administered in the following form. To wit, I, A.B., do solemnly swear or affirm, as the case may be, that I will support the Constitution of the United States. The said oath or affirmation shall be administered within three days after the passing of this act by any one member of the Senate to the President of the Senate, and by him to all of the members and to the Secretary, and by the Speaker of the House of Representatives to all the members who have not taken a similar oath by virtue of a particular resolution of the said House, and to the Clerk, and in the case of absence of any member from the service of either House, at the time prescribed for taking of said oath or affirmation, the same shall be administered to such member when he shall appear to take his seat. Unquote. There's more to it, which I'm not going to read, which basically applies the oath to other people in government. Believe it or not, sections of this law are still in effect 
231 years later. There were major revisions to the oath during the Civil War, but other parts of the law regarding who and when the oath must be applied are still on the books today. Executive producer of Everything Everywhere Daily is James Makala. Please remember to support the show over at Patreon.com, where you can get exclusive merchandise and to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star review to have your review read online.